Um, right. Although like buckle up cause it's going to be a fast paced conversation. Can, oh, I know caffeine. man. This stuff goes so fast, doesn't it? It's just, <laughs> totally. just wish we could, we could do this. Yeah. I could be a disc jock. I could do it like that full Weiler and just talk for two hours. Every totally. Morning, all the work that goes in. If somebody else put all the work together for me. That'd yeah. Be, yeah. I'd do it, but. Yeah. Could somebody else do all the work and then I'll just show up and yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That right, sounds right. like my dream job. Well, that's what John and Paul, well, John specifically for the, for rut and radio. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to Lead Him to Life. This is going to be a really exciting episode, and buckle up because you are about to sit down with two of the most extroverted people I know, myself being one of them, and Joe Rutten. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing, Emily? We are doing well. Happy quarantine. How's the Corona Coop? Yeah, you know what? It's it's going all right, but uh, the the other week I came out of my coop and I realized I'd been in there all day, and I mm-hmm. went outside to snow, and I was like, "The world is ending. <laughs> <It's> Hell <laughs> has frozen over. It's done." <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Praise the Lord that I have windows in my little home office. Uh, but I right. last week it was like 69, 70 degrees. And I thought there's a nice little table sitting outside. I think I'm going to bring my computer out there. And then I think it was the next day that snowed. So like, what is it? Where are we? What is happening? That's South Dakota for you folks. Okay. Right. Well, this is going to be an awesome, awesome episode. Something that I've been wanting to chat about with you for a while. And I think, um, it's a particularly timely time to have the conversation. But first of all, Joe, give us a very brief introduction to who you are. Tell us a few quick facts about Joe. A brief introduction. You know, yeah, it's kind brief. of hard. Did you know that? Right? Did you see that I threw that, that adjective in there for you? <laughs> all right. We'll do this quickly. Right. Uh, so uh, seventh of nine kids, big Catholic family, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You know, interestingly, Emily, I grew up, we grew up underneath the spires of the cathedral. So your home office is kind of my backyard. So it's where I went to school and just had a fantastic family, a great mom and dad. And uh, Went to Catholic education my whole life, but really never felt like the Christmas tree was plugged into my face. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was adorned, but it wasn't lighting up and really chose a poor path during high school and really struggled a lot. But I had a religious experience, a conversion my senior year in high school changed the trajectory of my life. I ended up in seminary, was thinking about being a priest. And in the process, discerned out after uh, my undergraduate was finished and ended up in education, became a Catholic high school teacher and actually uh, might might have taught a few people that you know. Yeah. Who was your and, favorite student, Joe? I'm just curious well, there was the, if you'd like to this, answer that. There was this guy named Matt Leadham. Oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> He's going to, uh, whatever. <laughs> of course it was you, Emily. So. <laughs> Thank you. That's what um, I, we all knew that was the answer. <laughs> right, right, right. So disclaimer, disclaimer, <laughs> I taught Emily. Um, and I got into high school education. I taught uh, ethics and apologetics um, at O'Gorman Catholic High School in Sioux Falls. It was an outstanding decade. I loved every minute of it. And at some point realized that I had a desire to have a greater impact on their lives, not just in a classroom setting, but to influence who they were as people in a larger context. And it really led me to uh, college, to the university life. And 
for the last couple of years. I've been working at Mount Marty College in Yankton, South Dakota, a great Benedictine school where I'm the director of a leadership institute and a professor of, uh, in the theology and philosophy department where we are rebuilding and renewing its programming and building Benedictine leaders for the 21st century. So that's what I'm up to now. Awesome. And really that last component of your desire to really form people as human beings, as leaders, your work with the Leadership Institute is the primary reason that I wanted to have a conversation with you. I had heard a quote, I think it was uh, a couple of weeks ago regarding the current world pandemic. And this person had said, every single one of us has the choice right now whether we are going to be the victim in this uh, and not victim as in getting, getting sick or, um, or, or those that have, have died horribly from this pandemic, but choose to be the victim in mentality or we can be a leader. Um, First of all, how does that strike you? How does that resonate in you um, as you're kind of watching the world right now? Right. It's uh, well, um, two things, and, and maybe you would agree with this distinction uh, or, or this caveat, but the victim and leadership, in a sense, I wouldn't put as, um, as opposites. I would say that the victim is leading. They just aren't leading well. Mm. And so when say we more look about at, that. Yeah. So I guess it would have to go back to the definition of leadership and what is leadership. And I just use a basic understanding of leadership as influence. And oftentimes we want to make leadership about the person up front or about, um, you know, doing the right thing or the person with the, the, the position of authority or, but really in my work, leadership is about influence and influence comes from who we are. And therefore we all lead. It's just, some of us might not lead well. Mm -hmm. So the objective of the Benedictine leadership Institute is to help people personally and professionally flourish by leading well, doing the right thing. And so this idea of victim versus maybe I put virtue on the other side and what's doing the right thing look like and what's doing the wrong thing look like. So, you know, being the victim is, uh, let's take it in this current pandemic. Uh, The reality is that in life we can only control we can only control so many things. And for the most part, the things that we can control are relate to us personally in our own lives. And so what I want to do is empower people and help people discern and examine what can you actually control in any circumstance or situation. And I want them to see the fates of circumstances outside of themselves and then the freedom to choose that they possess within themselves to take the interior and exterior realities and help people realize what is it I control and what is it I can't control and then empower them to choose well the things that they can control. And a lot of people get really, really, um, well, anxious and rightfully so in many ways, anxious. But what can happen is we can turn into this victim mentality that says that fates or circumstances are happening to me and we allow them to dictate or control our responses. And then it's, it's a no win situation, right? Cause the world sucks. It doesn't have to be a coronavirus, right? The world is broken. I'm broken. 
but what is it that I can control? I can control my internal life. I can control my mind. I can control my heart. I can control my hands. And by doing so, I can learn to influence the spheres in which I have a power over and I can help to influence them well. But the victim stops and says, nope, this is all out of my control. I can't do anything about this. Woe is me. Um, and it develops a, a, a mental virus. It develops a mindset where you lose. You actually give it up, Emily. You give up the power of choice that you possess within your mind and your heart and your personhood to choose to see the blessing, to choose to see the gift, to choose to see the goodness of a God that loves us, even in the midst of these circumstances. Because what we can't do is become victims. Because if we do, then it, 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 it inhibits our ability to enter into the cross of suffering, whereby we're actually transformed. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I could go on. Uh, yeah. uh, well, ask I have more to, around that if you'd like. Or Well, I have to ask you this, Joe, because the way in which you talk about all of this, it's so clear to me that this is not something that you simply know from having read it in a book. Right. And uh, there's a passion about leadership in you that it's it's very clear to me that it's because it's something that you have profoundly experienced. And right. so I'd love to know, you know, do you know, where does that come from? You know, have you, ex- sure. where is that experience? Have you had that moment where you realized maybe that you were kind of trapping yourself in a victim mentality and, and had an awareness of it or saw it around you? When did this become real for you? Um, I, I, <laughs> There's one clearly defined moment, and it kind of plays out into all the other areas of my life. But uh, a, a few years back, I really made a difficult choice and came to a point in my life where I kind of realized I was really struggling with substance abuse. And, you know, I was probably an alcoholic that I couldn't control uh, my drinking behaviors. And I, I just, so I came to this point in my life where I really had been living for a number of years with, uh, with a lack of integration, who I was to the world, wasn't who I was inside. And I felt that deeply and I struggled with that deeply, but what it did, Emily, was it developed a great compassion for people's circumstances. I no longer looked at him like as an academic thing, but as a human person that struggles. And it made me a lot more empathetic and compassionate. And then it said, well, all right, Joe, how can you help other people uh, in their circumstances and in their difficulties? And what I realized, Emily, was that it was specifically with my wife. I remember for many years in my marriage, I'd, I'd, I'd oftentimes find myself blaming my wife for things. Um, and it was only in my sobriety that I was able to look back and say, you know what, Joe, a lot of the stuff you were blaming your wife for was actually, uh, your fault. It was in your control. It was your mind. She used to say to me a lot. I vividly have this, this in my head, Joe, it's not about you. And I could never get to what she was saying there. But what I always did, Emily, with all the conversations or all the difficulties or all the circumstances of family life, which you know well, right? Yeah. I always turned them in a way that made me the person that was the victim. That like somehow this was 
was impacting me or she was trying to take away my freedom or I wanted to go out on a Friday night and she wanted to stay home. And, and, and I would make it in a way that would say, oh, you just don't want to go out on a Friday night, Laura. Well, no, no, it's not about her wanting to keep me from going out. She has a different priority. She has a different preference. I never wanted to put other people first. I always wanted it to be about me first. And if I didn't get what I wanted, I was very selfish. But it's not like I said, oh, look at me, I'm selfish. No, it was always cloaked as virtue. Yeah. I always did it in a way that made it seem like and turned it on my wife or on other people. I think that kind of made it seem like I was the good guy and they were the bad person. Mm -hmm. And that's probably where I remember would say the most Emily was in my marriage. My marriage has been transformed in the last few years of my sobriety because I've better been able to discern, recognize and discern when it is that I'm in my mind first, it it really begins in my mind where I mentally begin to tell myself a different story about the reality. And I begin to kind of turn it and say that person somehow is attacking me or trying to take something from me or, and, and it doesn't happen outright. It's like I'm in this natural rut or this, this unconscious way of thinking and living. And it took a shake. It took like a disruption to my life for me to wake up and realize, wait a minute, maybe all of these places in which I think that somebody is really, uh, uh, you know, attacking me, actually, this is within my freedom and control to respond. And I need to learn to respond better. I need to learn to, to, to be more virtuous toward other people and not to let my emotions, my emotions be so affected and determine my response to my spouse, to my children, and to other people. Wow. I feel like we just need to take a deep breath and let that in. First of all, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that because um, I think it's what you're describing in your sobriety or with your um, substance abuse, I think is an experience for all of us in various ways that we tell ourselves kind of lies about the world. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it, but we're looking through a faulty pair of glasses and we can't actually see the reality as it is because we're for some people it's resentment anger, unforgiveness. For some, it's addiction, pornography, alcohol, food, whatever, exercise, you know, like we, we, we do, we take these sometimes good things and disorder them so intensely. What I I have to ask about self-awareness because for you, the heart of that, and what I'm hearing is you had to become really self-aware Um, as to what the reality actually was. What's the role of self-awareness, kind of going back to that initial question regarding victim versus leader in the places that we find ourselves, what's the role of self-awareness and how do you think a person comes to that point of being actually self-aware? Right. So the first question, the role of self-awareness, and then remind me if I get going here and I forget the, okay. the how do we become how, the process, what's the tools that we need to engage self-awareness. So first, um, I think there's a number of examples I'll give you here that maybe uh, speak to this from different traditions and will help the audience 
maybe grasp wherever they're coming at this from. But self-awareness is really a, a human principle. It's a tool that we ha- we're capable of that all of the great traditions use. Buddhism uses it. Christianity uses it. Secular humanism uses it. There's a, there's a fantastic author. Uh, he's deceased, but David Foster Wallace um, is a is a writer and author that talks about consciousness and unconsciousness. Uh, you might remember a couple of years ago the mindfulness movement. Yeah, it's kind of faded away now. But it, when it came out, I'm like, well, the mindfulness movement is it's like this new fad. I'm like, um, this has existed in the Christian tradition for a couple of millennia now. <laughs> like it's 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 called awareness, yeah, self aware, and that we do this through examination. So we'll get to the examination part. Uh, second, but it really comes, it's, it's a human condition. And I think the first place that I'd draw our audience to Emily is Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, the great Greek philosophers and Greek culture and society knew that awareness of oneself was a key principle in living well. As a matter of fact, in uh, Delphi, the ancient city of Delphi, where the Oracle existed that everybody in Greek society would go to see uh, above the temple portal where, where the the uh, the oracle resided above the door entry it says know thyself mm-hmm. and so that before you go see the person that's going to tell your future first you must examine and reflect upon your heart right you must first know who you are before you go in to get examination from somebody. Well, think of this in modern counseling, right? We go to counselors to have them help us understand who we are. Well, part of this is something that we don't need a counselor for, right? The counselor has tools that can help us examine our lives, but the counselor doesn't examine us. We examine ourselves, right? They give us the tools by which we can better do that. Well, this is a human thing. So the Greeks had it with know thyself and the temple portal. Moving into the Christian tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, this is why meditation is so important, is that in meditation we pause. St. Benedict begins with his his rule uh, that he offered in how to live well in community. The first thing he offers us is the word listen. And so we know here that, that growing in self-awareness is a human leadership principle. We need to do it in order to understand who we are, our strengths and our weaknesses, and the means by which we do it uh, can be multitude, but meditation, uh, self-examination can be done through listening. Listening is very, very important. What happens when we listen? Well, listening, another word for listening actually is obedience, We begin to hear the Lord speaking to us in our mind and our heart. We begin to better assess who we are and what our strengths are and what the ruts are, what the the virtue and what the vulgarity is in our own life. And then we can make that simple assessment where we can put out, all right, where am I doing well today? Or where am I struggling at today? And we get in this habit, Emily, where we learn quickly what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and they'll probably be our strengths and our weaknesses until we die, by the way. So you begin to get really in tuned with yourself, and then you begin to assess on the go. It becomes natural to you. It becomes ingrained into you, this way of seeing and living where in the moment now, Emily, I know immediately when I'm being selfish. I know immediately, I'm very attentive now to when I 
I fall back into the old virus mentality of blaming my Mm. spouse or somebody else. Why? Because I'm daily examining myself. I think it's St. Ignatius says, if you forget all things in your day, don't forget your examination. Yeah. Right? Why? Why is examination so important? Why would he say, don't forget to pray? No, he didn't say don't forget to pray. He said don't forget to examine because it's the examination that develops your awareness of your your strengths and your weaknesses, where you've fallen short, that then allows you to make a plan to move forward with God's grace, by the way, to live better tomorrow. Yeah, Teresa of Avila, my favorite quote from her is, know thyself and thy faults and thus live. Ooh, I got to write that know, one down. Isn't that good? When we yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Say that again, would you? I think our audience would love to hear that. Know thyself and thy faults and thus live. Because at the heart of it, what she's getting at is there's a freedom that comes from knowing uh, from knowing ourselves, but particularly that she added and, and thy faults. And I think right. what she was getting at is that sometimes we can shame spiral Right. Regarding our, our faults and uh, we can kind of get stuck. So I think it's interesting because when you're talking about kind of coming into sobriety, um, there's a freedom that you're talking about it and not a shame. What's the difference? Why do, what, what about you in your formation or, or in grace do you think allowed you to come out of that in freedom and not to stay in shame? That that's a fantastic question, uh, Emily. Emily, in my own life, I've experienced uh, multiple forms of counseling. I've went to like family counseling when I was little. I went to addiction counseling when I was in high school. I went to spiritual direction for seminary, which is a form of counseling. Mm-hmm. I have mentors that counsel me now, right? Yeah. I would say that one of the constant themes that runs through all of my counseling experiences is this distinction uh, between guilt and shame, that we can have a proper sense of feeling sorrow or contrition for our faults. The, the, the key is, is the shame aspect of it. And what I just have in my own way come to is, is that shame is when we attack our own dignity because of our sin, that somehow we begin to attack that dignity that God gave us as sons and daughters of, of, the, of, of the Father, that we begin to destroy our own selves. Um, and, it, and it is a spiral. Shame's a really interesting thing. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't want to get into that too much. But that distinction of shame, I really try and try and fight it. I'm sensitive to it. But what I've found, Emily, is that in my free, I have been able to discover that in this examination process, I've encountered a new freedom to accept my faults and to accept that I have a God that loves me that can actually help me if I seek his assistance. And so I've really learned to lean into a father that loves me and I've become more patient and compassionate with myself, to be honest with you. I've, I've learned not to get so uptight over my failures. Previously, my failures almost made me more angry at myself. They made me more self-destructive. They made me more, I put more obstacles in front of myself because I became a Pelagian. 
Pelagians, this ancient heresy where we would work to our salvation. If I just did enough good works, I would earn salvation. And I treated my, my, my life that way. Like, all right, now I have to do these steps and I have to do this. And I, and I just put up this huge mountain in front of me. Well, Emily, I could barely manage and organize my, my morning, let alone get through a day or live a flourishing life. (laughs) When I let go and just said, Lord, this is in your hands. I want to do the best to live a great life, but I am deeply in your, in need of your grace and your assistance. I really learned to plug the Christmas tree in. I learned to live in a way where I was connected to the father that loves me so that when I examined my faults and failures, I didn't turn it into something that destroyed my dignity, that, that brought me to a place of shame. I felt guilt, properly speaking, for the faults and failures, but I was able to attain confession. I was able to move into a place of reconciliation, and I was able to be inspired to live a flourishing life again just by doing the next right thing. Ugh. And that's, that's that righteousness that God calls us to, right? I've always wondered, what's that word righteousness all about? Is it bad? Is it good? Was it? Well, then I was reading this uh, work. I think it was, uh, it might've been uh, John Senior or John Senior's a fantastic read on culture. Um, what was that? Oh no, it's, it's the leisure, the basis of culture. Mm. Did yeah. you read that? Joseph Pieper? The art of, Joseph Pieper? Yeah, the art of leisure. Right, yeah. right. So in there he says um, that righteousness is about living rightly, right? Doing, and this is what uh, Miles Beacom and some other people that I know would always say, Joe, just do the next right thing. Yeah. I have Frozen, so the Frozen right. 2 soundtrack singing in my ear right now. Have you watched Frozen 2? I have been? not, Emily. I <laughs> Lucky have three duck. boys, three boys. And You're I'm saved from I the... Navigate. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I'm not through the woods yet, but... Not yet. Yeah, there's, oh. a, there's a song in there. Just do the next right thing. It's like, <laughs> right. but now I can't like think about right. these like philosophical princesses without Anna from Frozen singing in my ear. Yeah. Continue. So that, that's righteousness, right? That's choosing the right path. And Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. What does that mean? Well, that means that there is a path by which he walks that when we follow, we live righteously. Yeah, absolutely. And so that discernment is where I've lived and where I really run my leadership institute is on the two paths that, that all of us have a virtue or a victim choice, right? That that's a human capacity that we get to choose which path we'll walk. And it's, it's lived out in our mind and in our heart, but it's expressed in our hands. It's ex- meaning actions. Our mind and heart are expressed in the way we live in the world, and we can choose at every moment in, in, to, to live well. And what happens is, as we live well through repeated good behaviors over time, we develop this habit of character that becomes a part of our nature. Yeah. And this is a beautiful thing about the human person, is we are creatures of habit. And we, we have a choice in this thing about how we live. We're not just blown with the wind. We're not reeds that just get blown around in turbulence. Uh, we can choose to have a character of strength. Chuck Swindell says life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. And that, I believe, is tremendously freeing because it puts the power in our hands 
always with the recognition as Christians, though, that we seek God's will, and it's only by God's grace yes, that we yeah. achieve it. I, we don't have enough time to really unpack this uh, in its full extent, because I really want to get to talk to you about kind of our sphere of influence, but um, your articulation of that was the heart of vulnerability, vulnerable mm, leadership, vulnerable leadership, right? It's, you know, that difference between guilt and shame is really allowing ourselves to say, I am not perfect. I do not have right. it put together, you know, in my home, in my workplace, in my wherever, whatever sphere of influence I find myself in. Right. Um, but I just, I think you so beautifully just articulated, especially you kind of coming into your own level of self-awareness in this last few years at the heart of that is the power of vulnerability, which I just, and I'm grateful for you right. sharing that. And I, and I couldn't help but point it out to our listeners because I think, and Emily, that's an oh, art, so good. you know, that's an art. And so, you know, for the listeners out there, vulnerability, isn't something that you just learn to do now. Like it's something that is, is a skill that's practiced. And what I mean by that is being vulnerable is not easy. Um, you know, we have a tendency to want to protect and to cover up our weaknesses and to hide our interior life where it's not perfect. But learning to be vulnerable is something that you can do. And I just encourage our listeners, learn to do it first with the people you trust that you know won't hurt you if Amen. you, for instance, Facebook, right? Sometimes people can share too much on Facebook <laughs> or sometimes yeah. in the office, you can be like, you know, you didn't really need to tell us all that or yeah. So that art of when is appropriate and what is appropriate to share with others, but that's an art. You can develop it and you can learn it. And when bosses and leaders and all of us are vulnerable, it really empowers other people to say, you know what? I don't have to be perfect either. And what we can learn is that when we express our vulnerabilities, it helps other people understand where they can come in and support the team or they can come up and buttress, right? They yeah. can be like buttresses that, that support others. And I've found that it allows me to lean into my strengths because I don't feel like I'm always trying to make up for my weaknesses because then I can go find the strengths of other people and together we bring our gifts and this is the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. The Lord said that we all yeah. have our strengths in, in areas and together, but it requires us to be vulnerable and admit, I can't do everything. I'm not good at everything. Joe's a good person for vision, passion, and friendship. But you know what? If you want him to be organized and disciplined, you better put somebody like Emily lead him with them so that when they do the pro project or when they do the work that God wants of them, they'll have the totality of the things that are required, but Joe doesn't have to do everything and Emily doesn't have to do everything, but together they can get the work done because I, they've examined their strengths and weaknesses. And I think the perfect place to start doing this is, is marriage. You know, I think that's really the field, the training field for leadership is right. particularly vulnerable leadership where my spouse is that place where right. I, I need to, to be brave, to be vulnerable. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard depending upon the subject. Right. And so I think when right. we can really surrender ourselves to vulnerability there, that helps us to be better leaders in our family, you know, especially in light of what's going on in the world right now, Matt and I have had so many conversations and they've just been a balm. The vulnerability of some of those fears, anxieties, what does this mean? What does this look like? You know, I just think it really has offered, um, 
kind of that place for us to figure out how are we going to lead our family amidst this. So uh, I just have a few minutes, Joe, and, I, and I've got two questions for you that I that I can't pass up the opportunity to ask you. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about sphere of influence? Sometimes I think oh, our yeah. sphere of criticism, our sphere of uh, what we think should be done is much larger than our sphere of, inf- much larger than our sphere of influence. Does that make sense? Um, right. I, I would 100% agree. What? Well, yeah. I, Just speak a little bit about that. Let's talk about, about social. I, what I, what I want to do is talk a little bit about social media in this, re, this context. I think social media has created within all of us um, this place where we all feel that we can simply criticize anything and everything. And we just put it out on social media. And, and it makes us think and, we're an and, expert. You know, right. it's like, well, I've we watched, you know, 18 hours of Facebook. So speaking and from my highly trained own, opinion. Right. And you create your own little sphere on social media where you can really just all day long listen to people um, complain and criticize and, and, and be viruses, right? So we have to be very, whereas before it was just what your neighbor, right? Yeah. It was your, your house and a couple of neighbors and your friends and on the phone with some of the gals and Whereas now it's like you have this huge arena of the global world where you can jump in and you can either flourish and live well and have positive thoughts and, or you can be, it can be a complete cesspool and a virus and a lot of complaining. And so I think social media is very challenging and difficult. I think that in some ways uh, it's a new reality that we want to study and we want to look into uh, but this whole idea that says we can influence for the better, I think is empowering. And I think social media is a place that it can be done well as also, but not a lot of people are capable at doing it or, or are good at doing it. So I'd say back out of the social media is the place where you're going to like tell other, it's never good to tell other people how to how, how they should act or behave. Like I think leading by example, leading by who you are as a person helps other people say, I want to follow that person. Yeah. So maybe I could go on for, for a long, but let's do this, Emily. Leadership is about influence. Influence comes from our witness and our witness comes from the integrity of our being, from who we are internally, who we are in our mind and our thoughts, in our heart, the core place where God resides and where our being for other people and and love lives. And then our hands, how we act and live in the world, what we say and what we do, that ability to influence for the better or for the worse is what leadership is about. And when we have the reins in our hands of leadership, then we live well and flourish and we choose good paths. And what happens, Emily, is I don't tell other people how to live. Other people observe how I'm living and they say, you know what? I want what that person has. And then they begin to follow. And that's what the disciples did with Jesus. And that's what I pray and hope that our listeners out there do. First, they learn to follow the leader of leaders, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And then in turn, they form their own lives as witnesses of Christ and other people will begin to notice and follow. Mother Teresa said it's as simple as giving a smile to another person. That is leading with influence. Bam. Look at that, Boom. friends. Booyah. Explosion. <laughs> Booyah. Uh, friends, this was an absolutely jam-packed episode. Joe, 
you, I, I'm so grateful that you just took some time to share with us. I think that this message right now amidst wherever we find ourselves, whatever that sphere of our influence is, we have an opportunity to be leaders uh, yeah. in our sphere of influence. And so thank you. Before we end, uh, I ask all of my, my guests, if there's a question that you have been pondering, I say this is a question, a place with more questions than answers, uh, because I think it's beautiful that right. in the process of asking questions, um, we come to a deeper and more real understanding of the world and of ourselves. See what I did there? Tying back to the theme uh -huh. of this episode. Uh, I want to know, is there a question that you have been pondering lately? Oh, and you can't answer it. That's the rule. You can't answer it. Well, Emily, uh, let's see how well you know your teacher. What is one of the things outside of faith and family that I care most about? Coffee. <laughs> coffee. I do love coffee. That is true. Um, um, I was that's a good Notre of, Dame football. Oh, did I get it? Boom. Yes. Baby. I love it. I love it. So Emily, I, I think the question that remains for me until I die is will Notre Dame win another national championship? There you have it, folks. You, you heard it first here. <laughs> right here live. As we're all missing wow. sports, a question to be pondering. Will your team right, come right, back? Right, right, Let this awesome. virus get through so college football can begin. I love it. Well, Joe, thank you again so much. What a gift um, you are to, to our community, to your family, to the world. Um, you've just been doing incredible work, and we're very, very grateful. So, friends, well, Please That's share. A, I want to give you a shout out. You a shout out, Emily. Congratulations. I love this. It's a privilege really as a teacher. This is what teachers live for, Emily. Mm. We love to see who our students become. And it really is a privilege. I, I have great pride in knowing that, uh, you know, I was able to, to, to teach you. I don't know what little I did, but St. Thomas and your Catholic studies degree and all the great work at Divine Mercy, you've really become a tremendous leader yourself. I'm absolutely privileged to have you working in our diocese. It's a gift to the church and congratulations on this show. It sounds like you have a tremendous following. Keep doing the good work the Lord's given to you and lean into these strengths. Thank you, Joe. What an honoring thing to say. I appreciate it. I did not pay him to say that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will take a cup of coffee. For yeah. A cup, <laughs> cup of coffee coming at you when the social distancing stuff is over. I can't wait to sit across the table from you for real friends. Please do share this episode with someone that, you know, I think that this is a message so deeply needed right now. Um, and, and we'd also love to hear if there's a question that you're pondering after listening to this episode, you can shoot a uh, text to 605-215. 1515. I'll tag that in the show notes, but that's a place um, uh, in a anonymous way that you can share with us a question that you're pondering, which also helps us to plan for future episodes and uh, to continue the conversation in our communities and other places that we find ourselves. Know that we are praying for you amidst the crisis, amidst the current climate of the world. May you find peace, joy, and hope. See you next time. <laughs>